so I'm very lucky to be joined today by David Cairns. David Cairns is the co-founder of CBRE Forward, which highlights tech companies uh, from a real commercial real estate perspective and is also the senior vice president of office leasing at CBRE. So I'm very glad to have you on today to talk about real estate and the future of work and work from home and all that kind of stuff. So thanks yeah. for being here, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here with you, man. Yeah. And I've been uh, watching all the content that you've been putting out, all the great entrepreneurs and business leaders that you've been talking to on LinkedIn. And I just think it's such a fantastic thing that you're putting out there. So, you know, I'd love to get into a bit more of, of what you're doing right now to help entrepreneurs in this particular time. But I'd love to start off just with a bit of backstory about you and tell me how you got into this game of commercial real estate that you're in sure. and also your, your um, relationship with entrepreneurship. Sure, sure. So, yeah, maybe uh, to touch on the relationship to entrepreneurship first. Um, I actually graduated from university in 2009. And okay. I took a bit of a non-traditional path as a professional poker player for about five years. Wow. Um, so that's a form of entrepreneurship, right? Right. Uh, I guess, it, yeah, I wouldn't even say it's a form. It is entrepreneurship. Um, nobody pays you. And um, it's probably one of the most painful ways to try to make a substantial sum of money that you could literally ever inflict upon yourself. So uh, um, I did that worse. for a, Worse than, worse than being an entrepreneur, would you say, than running a company? Or, well, uh, I guess, I people? don't know. I mean, I, I don't have the experience of actually running a company, so I, I would be talking um, without that experience. But one thing that strikes me as different is that you're losing money more often in a day than you are actually earning money. So you're right. not really walking away like net neutral at any point. You're either right. like really down or really up, and that has its emotional tolls for sure. For but sure. I, I think that... Uh, yeah, the size and scale of the pain of, of, uh, of being an entrepreneur probably more, especially because you're, you're um, tasked with supporting other people in their pursuits as well. Right, and, and yeah. Paying for, you know, I'm sure that would keep you up more at night than like yeah. the pain of just losing money for your, yourself. As a, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, yeah, a, bit, a bit of both, but uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the really up and the really down thing is something that definitely is what, uh, what being an entrepreneur feels like. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, I'll skip like all the backstory of that. Um, but what ended up happening is in 2011, the Department of Justice in the United States indicted the two largest online poker websites with tax mm. evasion, money laundering, wire fraud, and a, and a wide variety of other charges. Wow. What ended up happening is they shut down the U.S. economy from, from playing poker online. So that substantially changed my ability to make an income because most of the sort of um, I guess you would call it amateur player pool was from the United States and just mm. evaporated over. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think I always had the plan of transitioning out of poker, but um, you know, you know, at a relatively young age, like maybe around 30, but I would happen to be about 25, 26 at the time, 25. Um, and it just fast tracked my exit from the game, right. which really in the end of the day, I'm super grateful happened because I probably would have meandered around the poker world another few years. Uh huh. Um, and it just would have slowed me down from being where I'm at right now. So very happy about that. Yeah. And, and so can you talk a bit about what that uh, world is like uh, and, and then maybe contrast it to what the sort of world that you're in now is and what those sort of differences are, let's say, on a kind of uh, cultural level? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're sort of like a digital nomad as an online poker player. Um, you know, so you're spending the vast majority of your time playing poker online because that's where you can kind of get in the volume or the reps or whatever you want to call it to yeah. mitigate the luck factor that is involved with poker. It's very hard to play poker, especially tournament poker, which was the format that I was playing 
uh, exclusively in person because you just can't really play a lot of volume and and it just doesn't you can't equalize the luck factor unless you, you got to do yeah you got to do yeah. remote work i guess so you're kind of a remote yeah, worker yeah, yeah. yeah um and so yeah that, that definitely leads to its challenges and then the other facet of it too is especially at the time um when i was playing most of the games i was playing were geared around the evenings and the weekends when the amateur players in the united states eastern seaboard and pacific seaboard were kind of off work. So I was spending most of my time playing poker when my friends were not working. So it definitely led to some isolation for sure. Mm, yeah. And then, you know, when you go and play live and in person, you're traveling to some of the most amazing destinations in the world, but you're, you're living inside of a casino where you're yeah. open to at least. Because right. if you are, it means you are having a higher degree of possible success. Um, so it's uh, it's very it's an interesting little world to be in, um, yeah. and it, it brings about a, a misfit crew of people. You know, people from all walks of life, um, most of whom are not really very interested in a conventional form of making a living. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that 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 yeah. I do know one guy who I'm not sure if you know uh, Griffin Benger. Um, you know Griff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, we uh, we used to play together all the time. And, Amazing. Um, yeah, he's he actually, had, you know, at one point, I don't know where he's at today, but he's one of the best online tournament players in the world. That's right. Very yeah. interesting guy. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's too so funny. I grew up with him, and now his his mother is my co-founder of Out Loud Speaker School. So his mom went to theater school with my father, and then I she was my acting mentor, and then we started this oh business my God. together. That is yeah. hilarious. Which is yeah. hilarious. But yeah, he 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 was originally. Uh, a video game professional video gamer and then that was one kind of sort of socially isolated online way that he made a living and then you know kind of almost like a natural transition he transitioned to to online yeah. pokers and there's yeah there is there was always a certain glamour i felt hearing his stories when he would tell me about what he was doing you know and the the tournaments in barbados and all this stuff and you know the money that the and that the sort of the highs and lows there was a glamour to that that i found really really appealing um, but I don't, I don't think I could, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I could have emotionally handled the ups and downs of, of the money no, losses and gains. It's tough. And, yeah. um, you know, so we won't dive into Griff, but what's interesting is like he had the background in having a really big interest in gaming and, and like that, like kind of way of life. I was really more captivated by the individual competition mm. and, the, and the ability to make money. So like I was a competitive ski racer and I loved individual competition. Wow. Um, yeah. But it became harder for me to actually be a poker player because I was craving collaboration and connection, with, like social connection. Yeah. A lot more than I was able to actually achieve from poker world. Sure. So that, yeah. like, coupled with a lot of the highs and lows of the game kind of led me to want to leave. But I also did have the foresight to know that poker was really not a pursuit that I wanted to, you know, be, be undertaking at age 30, 40, 50. Um, one of the things I sort of cite when people ask me about it is what I don't like about it is the lack of scalability of it. Like unless you become an investor in other poker players, which has a ton of risk, um, you have to sit and grind out every hour at the table. And the only way that you can make more money is by playing higher stakes. Mm. Right. Yeah. Whereas in business, like, you know, you can coach, train other people and, uh, or, or you can have a product that's, you know, got some sort of technology underpinned to it that can allow you for exponential growth. Yeah. Um, I just didn't see that in poker. And I think that's one of the primary reasons that I, I really didn't want to pursue it long term. I just didn't right. want to be 50 sitting at a poker table trying to make 
the same rough living that I would be able to have made the year before. And, and more importantly than that, putting in the hours, you know, yeah. that yeah. were required uh, right. over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I transitioned in, in 2011 in light of the, the sort of legal stuff that was happening in the poker world. And I, I frankly just took a bit of a leap of faith on commercial real estate. Um, I had some colleagues and friends and family that were in the industry and they were all kind of telling me they thought I would, I would be, you know, decently good at it. And I would be um, comfortable with the, the dynamics of being in a, in a sales role in commercial real estate because it's a hundred percent commission job. Hmm. Um, so not a lot of people feel comfortable with that, but I kind of chuckled because as I just mentioned earlier, I was used to most days losing money and some days making money. Right. So like right. the idea of being neutral at the end of a working day seemed very <laughs> an upgrade. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah, it was like an upgrade. Um, so yeah, no, honestly, I took a bit of a leap of faith in it. I think what um, captivated me by it again was, um, you know, the upward potential of making money. There wasn't a huge ceiling if I was going to work hard. It catered to, um, you know, sales in general just catered to my EQ skills. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, yeah, ahead. I was going to ask you about that. So, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in people who are able to kind of adopt these uh, roles wherein, you know, being a people person or an extrovert or a good communicator is kind of paramount to your success, which I think is a lot more, especially nowadays, is a lot more common than not. But yeah, where would you say the confidence or the people skills or the, uh, you know, emotional intelligence that you mentioned, where do you think that comes from in your own life? Um, I actually think I had a, an incredible gift of watching my father build a company when I was young and through building a company, his work and his personal life were sort of blended together in a lot of ways. So, you know, the, the social interactions that he had often had some kind of a work component to it. Right. And so I, I really had this interesting opportunity to be in front of senior level executives, you know, or whatever people quote in high places. Yeah. Um, and interact with them on a social level. Yeah. And so I, I really attribute a lot of my ability to like, I, I, certainly the way I was able to fast track being able to generate rapport with a seasoned business owner or something like that uh, quickly at a young age. That was a big part of it. Um, some of it is innate, right? That it's yeah. just like, you know, some people like have a, a, a certain skill set, others another. Mine just sort of lended itself to people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it just being a non-traditional upbringing, you know, my parents got divorced at a young age. I, I didn't, in certain respects, I didn't have like an easy time Yeah. and you just like, whatever, you learn things through that. And then poker for sure too. Um, you know, poker, especially in person, although even more than online than people think you can use communication to elicit for information. Right. Right. So, uh, especially in person, I started to pick up a lot. And, and kind of hone that skill hmm. while I was at the table, learning how to how to speak to people to try to get them to do something that I wanted them to do. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, my alarm is going off here. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Um, yeah. So I'm really, really uh, interested in this idea too. There's a couple things I want to touch on. One is this idea of people in high positions and your feeling of comfort around them. Um, Because I imagine now, too, in your current position, you have a very high position at your company, but you're also working with a lot of CEOs and and talking to a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can speak to about 
Because a lot of times people, if they're walking into an investor's room or they're going to do business with somebody that they see as higher than them, there's some perception that other people in the room are higher than them. What I notice a lot is that people get super intimidated and they go, this person has this job title next to their name. Mm -hmm. This person has this many years of experience. Uh, can you speak to what, uh, how you look at that, how you, you know, how you view people and based off your interactions with your dad's associates? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'll first start by saying that I am not immune to being insecure or, or the feelings of inadequacy in front right. of people that I deem to be more successful than me. In fact, mm. I've struggled with it all the time right. in, in my career. And as your career grows and you kind of like push yourself further, you're inherently going to be putting yourself in situations that should be testing you a little bit more every time. So I'm always playing catch up when it comes to confidence. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm kind of figuring it out. Sure. But I think in general, you know, people in quote high positions, they really actually prefer to be talked to like a friend, right? Right. Like, you know, if, if you treat them like they are better and more important than you, then I think it like elicits this these unconscious like behaviors, right? Whereas if you if you use the same tone, sort the sort of same tonality, if you try to like, you know, use similar body language, and I always find humor really really helps. Mm. You can try to like do some of that stuff like right out of the gate. Um, it's really going to help you. And then there there are elements of getting older that just simply help too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, typically CEOs, founders, whatever, they have families. So yeah, and you've got kids, family, right? Yeah, I have one child. And I one child, find, yeah. Yeah, and I just find that family is such a great common ground. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, it's it's an incremental thing, building rapport. Sometimes you have to do it in an instant, and other times you're trying to do it, you know, in a, in a, in a relationship that you know you're going to have for a prolonged period of time. And, you know, in the case of the prolonged period of time one, like sometimes you have to take risks. Um you're not sure exactly how something's going to land. Like I, I, what I really find works is self-deprecating humor. Mm. Um, you know, when you, yeah. you, you poke fun at yourself, like that shows a level of sort of self-confidence basically. And I yeah. find that that really works with, uh, with people. High right. Yeah. And, um, and the next point I wanted to touch on that you said was was this idea too of um, coming from a non-traditional home and your parents being divorced. Um, yeah, there's a certain, uh, my parents split up too. I, I was a little older. I was um, uh, 15 when it happened, but it certainly is, you know, one of those kind of uh, events that shifts your perspective of, oh, everything just should go right. And when that thing kind of goes wrong, it's often for many people, at least the first foray into the idea that things can go super, super wrong. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, can you just talk very quickly, maybe if you would, about what that maybe did to your sense of entitlement or lack thereof, or a sense of how things should go or do go, and if there are any positive and maybe negative things that you think that that has has uh, effects that 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 had on. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so one of the, the great gifts my dad gave me as a single parent who for a long time kind of had our sole custody and, and mm. we were under his sole care. He put us into private school, um, even though he ultimately couldn't really afford it that well. Um, so like, you know, like your socioeconomic standing in life is always relative, right? Because I had a much better socioeconomic standing than like 99% of the population just right. where, I, where I was. But in terms of being in private school, um, I, I was sort of in the bottom tier yeah. for a period of time while my dad was growing his career, right? Right. 
Um, so that coupled with just some of the uncertainty that being in a single parent home, you know, with, with a lot of the like undertones to that, that you could kind of infer that probably we don't have enough time to go into. Yeah. Um, it just put me in this position of trying to figure out how to be liked, mm. right? Like how, how could I go about being generally liked? Right. Right. And, um, and I think that like when I was younger, I actually got bullied a decent amount and it probably just had to do with the fact that I didn't really feel safe, right. In my, in my skin, just given some mm. of the experiences that I had grown up with today. But as I gained more self-awareness as I was getting older, um, I recognized that and I, I kind of tried out strategies, trial and error strategies to basically become more likable. Mm. Now I wouldn't deploy a lot of those strategies today as a, as a sort of confident adult person, because I certainly did things to try to fit in that wouldn't align with my values today. Right. But as a young child, obviously that stuff's really important. And when I look back on it, I'm grateful that it happened to me because it, it taught me how to connect with a wide variety of people. And it also taught me how to connect with people that had higher status. than me. Right. And, and there, there is that sort of, um, there's, there's often a resistance of the clients that I work with when I teach them to employ communication or, or public speaking skills, which is I don't want to do this thing that didn't naturally occur to me because otherwise that's fake or it's manipulative, which can certainly, you know, obviously all of these things can be used for cynical purposes and you can act really sincere about something and not be, or you can try to pretend that you're really empathizing with someone and, and secretly you don't give a shit. But the awareness that I think young kids who, who feel bullied or who aren't fitting in or who have to learn how to fit in, they develop an awareness of, okay, this person is doing that and that seems to be getting you know this reaction. They develop this kind of observation uh, of, of what's going on around them, which you know if used kind of for good can be really, really helpful. But uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's also very important, yeah, not to use it, to, to start to be more comfortable um, you know, saying, being disagreeable or not fitting in or not, you know, not saying the thing that you think will get you liked. And then, yeah, you know. well, so it's, you bring up a great point. So like what I say to the, the young guys on my team that are, are learning sales is like, mm. they'll always notice that I start an interaction by trying to share something personal about my experience that day, or just generally about my life mm. as a way of like showing, Hey, there's a human being here on the yeah. other side, right? So I gave, I gave uh, this example to the guys one day when they weren't with me, uh, but we were on a phone call together. Um, my daughter, I was taking her on a stroller walk and she was like, she wouldn't put her gloves on and it was really, really cold, right? And I'm like fiddling around as this, like just before this call started, right? Trying to get her to put her gloves on. And so as the call like sort of starts, I just mentioned that that's what, I was dealing with like, Hey guys, sorry if the wind's going yeah. on. I sound distracted. Like I'm on a walk with my daughter. It's minus 10. I can't get her to put her fucking gloves on. Yeah. You know, and, and swearing's okay too, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Sound right. Swearing's okay. Right. So when you, when you start an interaction that way, it just takes a completely different turn in yeah. a lot of cases. Right. And people are just going to feel more at ease. Around yeah. You, right. But the key, like what you just said, if I manufactured that, it wouldn't come across as authentic. Yeah. So I always look for something that is true to my experience or true to my day to ensure that I'm never being disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. It's always got it. I'm strategically looking for ways to build rapport, but they are authentic. 
Yeah. And people have good bullshit meters. Like you can, you know, I, I, I'm sure you get this all the time on LinkedIn. People will kind of uh, throw something out at you and there's all these tactics that they'll use, especially on LinkedIn where they'll be like, Hey, uh, you know, if you're like me, you blah, blah, blah. Or I noticed that here's a picture of some guy sent me a picture uh, of uh, him holding two, probably wasn't even him, a guy holding two Starbucks cups and one had his name on it and one had mine. I'm like, I know that you just took a stock image and Photoshopped my name and you're doing this to like 500 other people like you know there was just yeah. something so falsely authentic which is of course even worse than not being personal at all um yeah. but i think that yeah if you really think about what makes people open up to you and it's that humanization right that, that idea of going i have kids i have uh, aches and pains you know i have insecurities and this stuff that we talk about a lot and the reason that i that i that i like to take some time and like before we get into sort of you know all the great work that you're doing as well but talking about this human aspect of like you know what are these insecurities and where do they come from and and, and things of that nature because i think that underneath all the pain points that as entrepreneurs we try to solve for people is emotional well-being that's kind of my theory like you know you want to save people time and money give them you know more opportunities with their family but under all of that is a desire for emotional well-being and uh, you know because that's what all those other things affect so yeah i think it's really important to, to for us always to pay attention to that we are a human and that somebody else on the other end of the phone call or the zoom call is a human as well mm -hmm. um so yeah so now uh what is it that you're focused on with uh with c cbre forward yeah yeah, so well, so I should pair. I should create a well-rounded perspective of what I do. What I do is I help companies, notably high-growth companies, but also enterprises that are bigger and startups that are smaller, and landlords that own buildings. I help the whole paradigm of the office building mm -hmm. negotiate transactions. So that's okay, what I'm doing. Right. I'm essentially bringing two parties together to negotiate a deal for office space. That's what I do. Hmm. Um, but what we did with CBRE Forward is we we sort of decided one day, you know what, CBRE has an incredible brand. We're the, we're the largest and most recognized and most reputable commercial real estate services company in the world, period, end of story. Wow. And so we thought, why don't we take this amazing Fortune 100 brand that we have, and why don't we create something that acts as a vehicle to showcase the success of our clients and of our hmm. prospective clients? Right. And notably, the technology sector, because the technology sector has been what's been driving Canada's knowledge economy for the last, you know, however long. Notably, we, we've gained global notoriety in the last five or six years, right? So that's the sort of thesis behind CBRE Forward. It's to showcase the success behind that incredible sector that's given Canada such awesome notoriety. Mm. But then we've, we've taken it a step further, too. And, and what we do is we also provide tailored real estate content for high growth companies, right? So the, the needs of high growth companies from with respect to real estate are very different than an enterprise, very different than a startup, and you know, they're thought of from a different vantage point than an owner of a property. So we we create content that's designed for that audience. So that's what I do, and I've been doing that now for eight years and I've been growing a career in that space. And of course, it's an interesting time to be working as, as what would be conventionally referred to as an office leasing agent because mm. most companies out there right now are fully on hold with respect to their real estate needs. And many of them are pondering what they think their future real estate needs are going to be in light of COVID and what it's done to sort of shine a light on the purpose of 
going to an office. Yeah. Well, that's what I would love to get into, uh, into with you. So I guess as an overview, like the first question I think is on a lot of people's minds is just what, like, will we ever go back to normal or, or if not, what will the new normal look like? So how do you see that in terms of whether uh, companies are going to be occupying office space in the way that they used to? Uh, and yeah, is it going to go back to normal at some point? Or if not, what will it look like? Yeah. Okay. So structurally speaking, like when we talk about the sector, the commercial real estate office sector, it's important to understand that when you're dealing with a physical asset, changing the way companies interact with it takes a lot more time mm. than any other sector. Um, notably on the company side, because they hold these medium and these long-term obligations, these leases with owners, right? right? So if they want to undertake a complete reframe of their real estate strategy, they kind of have to burn off these existing obligations mm. or decide to take a big financial hit and reposition their strategy today, right? Most organizations, as you can appreciate, especially in a recessionary environment, are not going to undertake a full reframe of their real estate strategy uh, overnight in a recessionary environment. Yeah, um, it's, so it's like canceling your like fancy iPhone that you still have like two years of contracts on because you want to downgrade to a more efficient phone. Yes, you're probably, yes. yeah, you're not going to yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah, so at the enterprise level, that's the issue that they face um, there, right? And, and taking that aside, you know, to, to reposition, you know, let's just take salesforce.com as an example. We probably mm. have about 10 million or more square feet of office space. Right? Wow. Right? And in, in a lot of the locations, they might have four or five, 600,000 square feet. You know, they are going to need time to rethink the way they look at their real estate, right? Mm. But then on the flip side, uh, going to sort of SMEs, small and medium enterprises, um, they're more reactive to their real estate and they are actually more beholden to the operators of the physical environment to provide a product offering to them that fits their needs. But to me, this is where the real opportunity is because this is where we've seen the light shone on some of the challenges that an office building and sort of the transactions that are associated with it have, right? And WeWork has done an amazing job of shining that light. I don't really believe in WeWork's business model and I think mm. they got funded in the wrong way and I think that they expanded way too aggressively. But what they did do right is they did build a product offering that responded to customer demands, right? Right. And really those customer demands are flexibility, more service, and fully turnkey. Like those are the things that SMEs and enterprises for certain portions of their portfolio want to buy, right? So when it comes to COVID, I think really what's great about COVID is that it's going to fast track a lot of these changes. A lot, you know, they'll happen if they were going to take 10 years, you know, meaningful change will start to happen in a couple of years time on the right. product side in terms of how it's delivered and maybe the nature of the contracts that are associated with how it's delivered, right? Um, right. But the key thing to understand here is that it really does take time. And I think a lot of companies are sort of really following the headlines of what some of the bigger organizations out there like Facebook, Twitter, Shopify are saying about the real estate world. And now some of those predictions may well be true. Um, but I think that everyone's sort of swinging the pendulum very, very far away from the office when I don't think that it will swing that far. I think there'll be a bit of a happy medium. Uh, but I did hear 
somebody used a great line today. They actually made a comment in my LinkedIn feed where they said that they think that Zoom will be to the office what Amazon has been to retail. And I, I do actually believe that that is true. Mm. Um, I think that we, we now understand that there are a wide variety of tasks that can be performed remotely and that productivity doesn't suffer in those situations, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't a wide variety of reasons that people need to get together, but more importantly, want to get together, right? Yes. So like, let me give you a perfect example. Sure. I was late to our interview because someone is performing some work in my front yard. Yeah. Right now, I am sitting in my daughter's playroom, and what yeah. you can see is a whole bunch of toys around me right now. Yeah, I'm sitting on a chair from my kitchen table, yeah. and my daughter's table is holding my laptop. That's not really my ideal way to perform a productive <laughs> task, right? Sure. And I'm putting on clothes that I would wear outside of the world because... I want to feel good. Mm -hmm. I actually like to leave my house in these clothes. Yeah. So it really feels like there's a reason why I bought them in the first place. Yeah. And they're a little stiffer than your uh, pajamas and sweatpants. Yeah. So yeah. I just think that like we all need to like take a deep breath here because it's like, okay, working remotely works, but it doesn't mean like it, it doesn't mean that it's what people want all the time. And I, and I also do think we're in a little bit of a honeymoon phase when it comes to this productivity because when you look at what world we're living in right now. We're living in a world where many people are still fearful of being furloughed. We're living in a world where for some people who, you know, maybe don't have a significant other, don't have children, they are, you know, gaining solace from their work and they're working longer hours than they would really normally do by choice because they don't even have the same abilities to go out and get a massage or go sit in a restaurant or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So measuring productivity in the way that a lot of companies are measuring it right now. I think is a little bit early. And I think that you also need to understand like these examples that I just stated about like why we want to leave the house yeah. and go connect with other people, right? The key to me is really employee choice, right? We do want some certainty around where we go. We don't want to have to go to like a hundred different environments to perform productive work, but we don't necessarily want to go to our company's primary hub all the time and deal with the commute and some of the stress that comes along with that if we know that our day is more stacked in heads down work, right? Yeah. So my personal belief is that the commercial real estate product side simply just needs to pick up and respond to consumer demands and create more choice. And by creating more choice, we're just gonna have more productive places to work. Right, and, and so that gets into the emotional aspect of how people feel uh, that their life is going around their work, which of course, the the more we leave kind of our uh, the, from the industrial revolution and go forward in history, the less we will ultimately define ourselves by you know the the tasks that we do every day, and we start to look for bigger things. And you know, you mentioned this Zoom revolution uh, revolutionizing the office in the way that Amazon revolutionized real retail. Um, but if you look at the, the stats on that, a, a lot of retail jobs were kind of just disappeared because of Amazon's uh, business model and the, the way that they were able to kind of automate uh, a yeah. lot of stuff. Do you think that that might happen in the case of office workers where if, if Zoom does become, let's say more of a new normal, or at least has a bigger impact, where mm -hmm. jobs will be lost and more people will be out of work because of the 
the impact that Zoom is making, or do you not see it as being like less office space equals less? Well, I don't necessarily think that, well, so the, the interesting thing here is I don't think that there'll be less jobs because the jobs are not going to go away. Like retails behold, a lot of retailers are beholden to the physical asset, right? To, to, to generate revenue. In this case, we know that that's not the case. So I don't think jobs are going to go away. Right. But it's certainly possible that we are overbuilt in terms of office space or we're sort of geographically oriented in a way that might not make sense. So I can give you an example. Um, most large organizations build into their physical office um, a lot of collaborative spaces that are underutilized, whether it's a massive like um, room to do a town hall, whether it's a conference room that holds 100 people or 50 people or uh, you know, lunch rooms, whatever the case may be, there's so many spaces that ultimately don't get used enough. So that in and of itself, to me, shows that some of the office environment is overbuilt. Where I think you can solve for that is by allowing for um, you know, space as a service providers. The, the, the names out there that everybody knows right now are like you know, WeWork or Regis or Convene or Industrious. You know, some of these companies are great and they're still going to continue to exist. Some of them may not. But I think this, the, the sort of sector of providing space as a service and as an amenity is really the best way to right size the commercial real estate office footprint and also ensure that, it, that you know, the buildings have the right amenities and the right hospitality program to actually add the layer of service into an office building that has been missing that people really ultimately would love to buy. Right, so if you did that, a big company like Facebook, they might still build some of that space into their physical footprint, but if they knew an operator like that was in the building that they could call upon that space as and when they needed it, well, then it might really reframe the way they design their space and they might take less space. Right, um, I mean, that, that's, so it sounds like sort of the sharing uh, economy approach is sort of uh, part of what you're talking about, right? The idea that, that um, with with the real estate space being shared, like somebody like WeWork, which would have a ton of different companies in there. So there'd be a lot more um, kind of cross collaboration, but then you don't have just like uh, one massive enterprise, uh, you know, taking up a whole bunch of space because they're not gonna have the people for that. Um, or, or just like, yeah, that's one aspect of it, but I think it's really important to understand that like companies have been forced to build into their footprint more space than they ultimately need mm. to ensure that they can use it when they need it, right? right? But there's a lot of providers out there that are growing and should continue to grow that can outsource that sort of aspect of the physical need for space for them. Right. And then it, it inherently it would lead to companies taking less space and it would just create better efficiencies in buildings because you're going to be bestowing that responsibility onto an operator that actually knows how to do it well and how to activate it well and how to make it efficiently run. Just like a great hotel operator knows how to run a hotel. Yeah. There are operators out there that know how to run an office building and they need to grow. They need to proliferate. That's really what I'm saying. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, and then getting back to this idea of the human impact of wanting to go somewhere and leave the house. Uh, in your mind, both as a individual uh, person and, uh, and as a, and a sort of expert in the field, what is what is that main drive? Where does that come from for you? And, and why do you think that that will sort of keep the commercial real estate space going? And why won't we all just like be stuck in our pods for the rest of our lives doing, doing Zoom calls? Well, so I, when I look at like work, I, to me, there's three places that you would work. That, that Like there's, there's your home, which you might want to work in some portion of the time. There's a sort of secondary 
productive space. And then there's your companies like Primary Hub, right? Um, I personally would love to be able to work in all three of those facets. Mm. Um, and, and really, I'd like the autonomy to choose how, that, how I get to do that, right? right. Um, now, you know, for me, that might look like stacking certain days as collaboration days where I go into the office and I, I set up a sequence of tasks that are collaborative in their orientation, right? And then I know later in the week, I'm going to be more heads down. And that I might perform from a secondary space that's more neighborhood centric, mm. or I might choose to do it from my home. Um, right. But like what I think the operator, landlord, commercial real estate owner side, and the large enterprise side, the, you know, the two stakeholders that are responsible for attracting and retaining talent, what they need to do is they need to come up with more compelling reasons for me to want mm. to go to that physical environment, right? So yeah. it needs to activate my senses, right? My health, my well-being, mm. my sense of community, my like you know like my excitement, my my sense of action. Like the environment has to facilitate that. Yeah, and that really obviously looks like a much different office environment than most people would be able to envision in their mind today, right? Which yeah, is kind of a cube farm of desks, right? Where everybody's yeah. just kind of sitting there, nine to five, mostly doing their job that they could do from any other place. Yeah, we have to build physical environments that activate the human senses and make us want to go there. Mm. That's really interesting. I like the idea of activating the senses because, you know, there is, there's our physical senses, but there's also our, as I said, you know, this emotional well-being, this, which, which a lot of people, I feel like are disconnected from, especially in, in, in modern society, this idea of like what we do, who we spend our time with, what we eat, how we sleep, all this kind of stuff uh, affects our mental health and our sense of well-being. And this idea that, you know, you're home all day and you're kind of working in this office, we're finally realizing that that has a huge toll on the kind of motivation and the energy and just our general, our general sense of well-being. Uh, and that's kind of becoming into the, you know, growing into the greater conversation that people are understanding that it's not just about, oh, I need to get up and stretch my legs. It's, there's something deep and primal here going on that being restricted to a physical space is not helping whether that's the home office or the the real office. Um, and so I guess like, do you think that working from home uh, could be viable for you? Like, could you work from home all, like, uh, would, would you want to work from home at all if you had the choice? Well, look, like I've been doing it and obviously I can. And like I said, there's definitely a component of my working week that I would be content to work from home. Mm -hmm. But in general, I would prefer to have a variety of choices be productive outside of my home right um, i think really what i'm looking to do is cut down distraction commute inconvenience where possible mm. and be empowered to work in an environment that best suits the reason that i need to work right mm. so to me gone are the days where um you know an employee's performance will be based on being seen and i think that that's a really positive yeah outcome of COVID, right yeah. but that's great it's like okay now we know that like i don't actually like if, if i wanted to um not catch the streetcar if i live downtown have a coffee and perform my first hour of work from my office if i want to or from my from my home mm -hmm. if i want to leave early and cook dinner for my spouse and then perform a few hours of work at a later point in the day 
I think what's great about COVID is these things will ultimately be more acceptable, mm -hmm. right? But if I was told today that I had to work from my home for the rest of the time, yeah. Well, first of all, I'd be out of a job, so I'd have to find a new job. Yeah. Um, if that was the world that we lived in. Um, but secondly, I would be depressed. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like yeah, I just, totally. And and like there's there's implications to the family dynamic as well, right? Like my wife and I've been saying to each other, like we've no oh hey moments where we're like, yeah. oh hey, how was your day? Yeah, yeah. What did you do? Haven't seen you for a while. There's no mystery. You know, like, yeah. There's just no mystery, right? Yeah. It's like that has an effect on the family dynamic mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. But, I, I, like this, this is all to say that I think we're just swinging way too far in the direction of saying like, we can do everything from home, we're all mm. productive, it's all great. It's like, yeah. okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most balanced way for human beings to interact yeah. with their careers and with, with other colleagues, right? Yeah, totally. Um, it's just like, to me, it's just like gone to the days of, of being seen for being seen's sake. Yeah. Whereas Tobias Luke here or whatever said, like also gone are the days of centricity for centricity's sake. Mm. Like, all of us being in one place at the same time, just because that's been the social construct, well, that doesn't make sense either. But there still is a very substantial need for physical space yeah. to be able to allow people to be productive and connect with each other in the ways that we crave. So those yes. are my personal opinions on, on this one matter. Right, and I think that comes down to our evolution and our evolutionary psychology, which is that we depended on each other for survival uh, and that those bonds are formed in person, often through like touch and, and smell and like things that you wouldn't necessarily think of that you want to do with your colleagues. But, you know, all these things that allow us to bond with other human beings and feel like we're part of a shared community and a shared tribe working towards the sim a similar goal, that's really, really hard to replicate with this wall of, of, um, of a laptop screen and a microphone and everything else in between us. I mean, we can do a kind of good facsimile of it as we're doing now, but you know, ultimately yeah. you, you know, it's really hard to build those kind of relationships with people and feel that empathy towards them. Uh, you know, if you're not seeing them in person at least once in a while, but then of course there's that flip side where if you're seeing them too much, uh, and you have no, no, uh, no exit. And I think that's another problem with the eight hour in office workday is that, you know, somebody's always chewing their pencil beside you or just like playing their radio a little too loud and all that kind of stuff that goes against the common mission by, uh, you know. Yeah, but you know, so, so take that example, right? Like I don't really believe that most of the built environment in 10 years, 15 years from now is going to just be people going to perform heads down work where they are chewing them. I think it'll be more oriented around productivity, like specific productivity tasks, mm. or more importantly, collaboration tasks, wooing talent, wooing clients. Like these are the reasons that we truly actually want to come together. There's a lot yeah. of reasons why we want to perform productive work, you know, in our own little silo. But again, and, I'm just going to go back to saying that I don't believe that that silo is exclusively our homes. Yes. I don't believe that the best companies in the world should either provide the environment that I just mentioned or the home. There needs to be a third place where they provide people the opportunity to mm. work, even if that work is heads down. Right. Um, can I just ask you just to repeat, just because I'm really interested in it, I think other people would be as well, those things that you said would be the great uh, um, aspects of a business for, for in-person collaboration. You mentioned wooing talent, wooing clients. Could you name a couple others of, of those ones that you yeah, said? Yeah. So, so to me, like, you know, think, thinking of the built world being something that we interact, it's designed for us to interact with our senses, the things that make us human and the things that make us want to connect with one another. That's obviously not sitting there and performing a heads down task. Mm. 
we, you know, like you're not really interacting with your colleagues when that's happening. So sure, you might have interactions with them at certain points in the day, but if your day is really geared around that heads down work, you might as well do it where you want to do it. Mm. Right. But like when you think of the reasons why you want to go somewhere, you want to go somewhere to have your health and your wellness like enhanced. Mm. You want to go somewhere to like meaningfully connect and collaborate with colleagues towards a shared outcome. Mm. You want to like show a potential employee why it's so incredible to work in your organization, right? You want to show a client the same thing. Like these are the reasons that we actually come together. And I think that obviously a lot of them are happening in this current construct of, of the physical built world that we go to. Mm. But a lot of what we are doing is not designed around those specific tasks in a given day. And I think that like, you know, when you peel it back, people feel like they probably go to those built environments more than they would choose to if they, you know, knowing that a lot of their work is heads down. Yeah. So some of their work's heads down. They'd rather have more autonomy over their day, be closer to a park where they can go walk their dog, be closer to their child's daycare where they can go pick them up. Like we got to give people more opportunities to live life on the terms that they want to live. In, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's also so many reasons to go in. And, and what I believe is like the best companies will find ways to have their spaces, you know, interact with your senses in the way that I've described. Mm. Yeah. So you will want to go there. Yeah. Or maybe five days out of the week because it's just that good to be there. Right. Yeah. And that was starting to happen with some of those major tech companies. You hear about how Google was enhancing its office space. And if you go to some of these entrepreneur hubs like Communitech and, you know, you see these really like fun, colorful, bright spaces with stuff to play with and, you know, uh, food and drink and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess the last thing uh, I want to ask you is, um, you know, what... What should business owners and business leaders be thinking about right now in terms of how they engage their senses of their employers or their teams or talent or the people of the sort, you know, in the ways that you're talking about? What would you suggest for them to focus on uh, with these restrictions that we have as they are now? Yeah, so I've heard a lot of founders um, say to me recently that they know that even though we're in a bit of a lockdown, they need to get their teams together in some sort of way mm. you know, to collaborate even to like have a socially distanced like party or something. So, you know, there's a lot of spaces that you can leverage to do that type of thing that you don't need to lease or own for a long period of time. A great company that does this, I'll give them a plug is flex day. So they're flex a company day. that, um, has partnered historically, they're, they're really iterating on their model, but they've partnered with restaurateurs that don't use their space during the day. Mm. And so they create a value exchange with the restaurant and, and them as, an, as a provider. And while the space isn't utilized, they can go there and, and rent it basically for the day, for the mm. week, for the month. So I'm seeing a lot of founders out there um, choose to potentially um, collaborate with a company like Flex Day to get a space that's to brilliant. bring people together, right? Yeah, that's really, really so cool. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, and then, you know, if you do have your own physical space, you can obviously utilize it in a different capacity. If you feel like you're not going to be going back to your office, you know, to do these heads down or collaborative tasks until 2021 or maybe even whatever further, whatever your choices as a, as a business leader, think of repurposing your own space 
to be able to allow for you to do the same thing that flex day can do for you elsewhere right you got to get your people back together in a safe way in some way shape or form we can't be isolated from each other forever i mean there are some teams out there are some companies out there that obviously have built their entire businesses off of being remote mm. and i know that more and more of them will come to fruition yeah but i don't really believe that when we look 10 to 15 years out the vast majority of organizations are going to be exclusively remote mm. it's just like you have to, in my mind like it's not really a natural thing and maybe i'm going to listen to this in 10 years and be like fuck i was wrong yeah but, um i, just I hope you're not though i yeah. desperately hope you're not and i i would tend to agree with you it, it does seem like you know despite uh yeah people are still going to the theater and you know people said that theater was going to die many 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 years ago with you know the onset of the printing press or all you know all these kinds of things these technological advancements that change the way stories could be unfolded and of course people still get together in rooms and see either live music or live theater or dance and all that stuff even though there's tons of other options so well we don't need to get yeah. political here so i'm just gonna make a statement and we should just stop after sure yeah <laughs> look at the u.s they're all together yeah for the wrong reasons yeah they're together yeah <laughs> right yeah <laughs> That's great. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really, really yeah. appreciate it. There was so much great stuff in there. Uh, yeah. And then, and uh, I, I look forward to all the rest of the stuff you're doing with uh, CBRE forward and all the great work you're doing to highlight tech companies and talk about these really important uh, issues. So thanks, yeah. thanks so much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Okay. Take care. Okay. Good luck with the, uh, with uh, the planters in your daughter's room and, and all the rest of it. All right. Have a okay. good day. See, See ya. Bye. Bye.